0: 20, verse 13. Acts chapter 20, verse 13. The third missionary journey is about to come to a close. The series is called Let's Go Change the World. We're watching how the first Christians turn their world upside down, and so we're learning how we can turn our world upside down. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 13, we find how the mission, third missionary journey is wrapped up. And the Apostle Paul has a chance to talk to the elders from Ephesus. And he believes that this is the last time he's ever going to see them. For most of them it will be, although maybe they'll visit him in prison um, when he is arrested. So he's saying goodbye. What, What would you say if you thought this is the last time you were going to see these people who you had done life with for two and a half years, and you had to commend upon them, leaders in the early church, the mission to continue to build up the church of Jesus Christ? What would your last words be? Well, we're going to find out what his words were. And we're also going to learn principles of spiritual leadership this week and next week as he exhorts them. Here's a map of the third missionary journey that shows us uh, the ground that we're going to cover today. And you remember that he launched out over here, and then he, he went through the first missionary journey cities, and then uh, Ephesus is where he stayed for several years. All of these churches were planted while he camped in Ephesus, which was the... Uh, the base, and then he went up back through the second missionary journey cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, back down around, stayed in Corinth for several months. During this time, he wrote like 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the book of Romans, so it was a really awesome period. Then he came back down through here, and we're going to camp right here with him, um, uh, Miletus, and that's where he's going to have the Ephesian elders come down before he makes his way back to Jerusalem, where he knows he is going to get arrested. Okay, let's pray, and then we will learn principles of spiritual leadership from the Apostle Paul. Lord Jesus, we thank you that here in this passage we see how the church was expanding all around the mighty Roman Empire. Thank you for Paul, that you converted him, saved him. He was the vilest offender who truly believed. and Because of that, you put him to work, and he became the pillar of the New Testament church. We pray that you would show us how these leaders were raised up, how they served and built up the church of Christ, so that we might see our world turned upside down. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us right now through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we are in Acts chapter 20, verse 13. It says this, Going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. Notice how Luke says, we. This is a first testimony, first hand testimony account of what was going on. Luke, the author of Acts, was there. We, and so he says, um, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Verse 14, when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day, opposite Chios. The next day we touched Samos, the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And here we find our main passage for today. When they came to him, he said to them, And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There are four principles that we'll see today from Paul's example, and then there are more that we will unpack next week. But you can write this down. I'd love for you to take notes. An engaged listener will get more from the sermon. Number one, serve the Lord humbly. From Paul's example, we see we must serve the Lord humbly. It says in verse 18, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. His example was everything. Somebody once said, Example is not one component of good leadership. It is everything when it comes to good leadership. He set a great example, and he says in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. Serve the Lord humbly. So elders in particular are challenged to have servant hearts. Who is an elder? Well, a pastor, an elder, an overseer, Those words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. So Pastor Bob is also an elder. Pastor Ryan, Pastor Stephen, uh, we are elders in the church. Brian Horner is also an elder in the church. He does not have the title pastor because he is not on staff. Uh, Pastor Stephen does not have the title elder because he's not on the board. But biblically speaking, we are all pastors, elders, overseers. The responsibilities are divvied up. Differently, but it's the same spiritual gift. So these were the pastors from Ephesus, the overseers, the elders who were watching over the church. Paul's traveling companions were also key figures from all the churches they represented. So spiritual leaders in particular are singled out in this sermon. Are you a spiritual leader? Do you serve with some authority here in this church to oversee a ministry area? Hey, listen, this is targeting you because Paul is talking to leaders about leadership. But the principles we learn here are for everyone. And we must serve the Lord humbly. It starts with leaders who act with integrity and who know who the Lord is. So Lauren and I were blessed a few weeks ago because um, we won tickets to the musical Hamilton. Have any of you seen the musical Hamilton on Disney Plus or have you gone to see it? It's really powerful. We've got a picture here of us winning the lottery in the app to go to Hamilton the musical. And there's the stage in the background. It was an awesome date night, Tuesday night. And here's another picture of the musical itself. Now... One of the things that makes Hamilton so powerful is Alexander Hamilton grew up like on an island in the Caribbean. He had nothing. He was poor. But then somehow he's a rising star in the early colonies and uh, he's among the founding fathers of our entire nation. And boy, does he want to get to the very, very, very top, wanting to be president one day. So what makes the musical powerful, I brought my playbill from the musical with, with me here. What makes it so powerful is scene after scene after scene after scene, he's trying to get to the top. He's working and writing and fighting, and, and he was, he's got such an ego. you know. Over a dozen um, uh, honor disputes in his lifetime, one of them would eventually cost him his life with the vice president, uh, Aaron Burr. This guy was an egomaniac. This is the opposite of humility. He wanted to rise and rise and rise and rise and rise up. Several times through the musical, they sing about rising up, but he kept being humbled, chopped down, he kept being humiliated, and finally, he lost a child and he lost his entire life. When it comes to humility, we know the opposite, We know people who are trying to build their own name, build their own kingdom, and who are trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. We are called to the opposite in the church of Christ. And leaders who do well in spiritual leadership have been brought low in life because that's how God builds strong leaders. In our weakness, he becomes strong. The church right now has been ravaged by many egomaniacs who have tried to build their own kingdoms in the kingdom of Christ. Many of them have paid the price. And we've seen time and again that people can spend 20, 30, 40 years building up their own personal kingdom and then at the end God can just go like this. And it all falls down. We must serve the Lord humbly. If you have any desire or intention of becoming a spiritual leader, or if you are a spiritual leader in this church, listen, spiritual leadership begins with humility. Humility. We must serve the Lord humbly. Write this down. We're serving, not being served. We're serving, not being served. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. There is a servant mindset in the church of Christ that makes leaders thrive. We're working for him, not getting others to work for us. I love the people who work for Christ at Anchor Church and our best leaders don't start as leaders. In fact, when you start coming to a church, you find ways to serve. And when we start trying to figure out who could be a small group leader, who could become a, you know, a, who could become a ministry leader, we look for people who are serving humbly here's a picture from our tech team several years ago a light had gone out before the service and so there they are during church before the service up on a scaffold that service fear of heights well the bulb needed to get changed the bible commends those who serve and in matthew 23 11, what did jesus say we'll put that verse up on the screen in Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. The disciples over and over got caught arguing, disputing over which one of them was going to be the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. Oh, I am. I'm the star of the show. And you might be like, <laughs> what fools. Uh, that's us. That's us. We really want to be the center of our own universe we really want to be the star of our own show we really want to be the captain of our own souls we like to be liked we like to be adored and so we have to turn that all around and say you know what we're serving not being served a good way to assess if we are bringing a servant mindset anywhere church work a restaurant is, do our entitlements really drive everything? We have expectations of how we're supposed to be treated. If we don't get treated that way, then watch out! Nobody talks to me that way. How are you doing at having a servant mindset, not a I'm here to be served mindset? How are you doing at focusing on how you're treating other people, serving them, versus how other people are treating you and serving you. Serve the Lord humbly. We're serving, not being served. Write this down. We must stay low before our Lord. We must stay low before our Lord. That begins when you understand the word Lord. We are serving the Lord. When you understand who he is, you can right-size yourself. Who is Jesus? Hey, that's The most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. Who is Jesus? Too many people in the church and in the world have a pathetically low view of Jesus, and that's why they have a pathetically high view of themselves. They get it backwards. They expect to be treated like God because they don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus is not your buddy. He's not your co-pilot. He is not going to make all of your dreams come true. He has a kingdom that will last forever. You don't. So you can't make him your own genie where you rub the bottle and then he gives you all of your wishes and desires, and that's not the way it works. You can actually find that Jesus if you want. Uh, I found him online, Oriental Trading Company. Here's a picture. Just go there right now, and for $7.49, you can buy yourself a stuffed Jesus with a sash, and he, you can do whatever you want with him. Cuddle him, Ask him to make your dreams come true. And you could even buy a hugging stuff Jesus slap bracelet so that he's always right there with you, doing nothing but making you feel good. But I got news for you uh, stuff Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. All right? So we must stay low before the Lord. Is Jesus your Lord? The word Lord is powerful. In the Old Testament, They wouldn't write the name of God because they felt it was blasphemous, so they would substitute the word Lord. And then Lord also was its own title of God, a divine title, a trait about God that can never be true about you. You will never be Lord like God is Lord, but Jesus is. Therefore, he's the divine king who holds supreme dominion over the entire physical world and over the entire spiritual world. He is Lord, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He has authority over all authority, power over all nature, over all sin, sickness, and even death. Hey, before you ask the question, who am I, you must answer the question, who is he? Is he your Lord? If Jesus is not your Lord... You will never figure out who you are in this world. Because you'll either expect people to treat you like God, or you'll find your favorite human and make them your idol. You'll get it wrong every time. If Jesus is not in his rightful place on the throne of your life. Is Jesus your Lord? Are you thinking right about who Jesus is? And when you realize that he commands all of heaven and earth and that he's the only one who will rule forever and ever, have you taken your rightful place on your face before him? When has that happened? Is Jesus your Lord? We must stay low before Jesus who is Lord. The Bible calls him ruler, master, redeemer, owner of you is that what you are here for the bible calls us to humility based on this fact this world is not a banquet in your honor in luke fourteen ten, jesus shares a parable of uh, a wedding where a fool decided to take the highest place can you imagine going to the next wedding and just walking up to the head table and seating yourself there as a guest of honor but check this out luke fourteen ten says this when you are invited go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes he may say to you friend move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you take the lowest place is that your heart and i'm not talking about this false humility that well you you watch whatever you want on tv i hate her She always gets her way. I'm not talking about false humility where you act like a doormat and everyone gets to do what they want and then you resent it when no one's around. That's not humility. Humility is realizing exactly who you are before the presence of an almighty God and taking the lowest place knowing He will lift you up. That's true humility. We must stay low before the Lord. Do you know who you are? I was at a wedding once, and there was a leader at his church who was at the table with me, and our table was the last table to get our food. Everyone else got their food, and we're just sitting there growl, grumble, and it was a little annoying, and then they finally made their way to our table, and they went around the table And this guy was getting really, really worked up, loudly worked up, huffing and puffing and blustering and crossing his arms because we were the last table. And get this, he then was the last person to get his food in the entire wedding. Now, I wasn't happy, okay, but he went off. And the the indignity of being served last. You know, first I felt like he's humiliating the gospel. Then I realized in my heart I was pretty upset about it, too. (laughs) He literally got the chance to be last, and he couldn't stand it. How's your heart? How's your heart? Have you taken the lowest place already? Are you humble before the Lord? Have you repented of pride and all efforts to exalt yourself to rise up to the top? Number one, serve the Lord humbly. Number two, suffer hardship patiently. Suffer hardship patiently. He says, I did not shrink from, or it says in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So the Jews, you know, rejected the gospel, didn't want to hear from Paul. They were the ones who chased him from town to town trying to kill him. So he suffered trials. Often we try to avoid hardship. A bunch of buddies of mine and I, we did this thing called a tough mutter about a month ago. It's basically, you go and do all these obstacles like cargo nets and jumping in freezing cold water and climbing over walls. And I broke two ribs during this whole thing. And guess what? People were like, well, why did you even do it in the first place? Who wants to go do this? And I was hurting and they didn't care. <laughs> Because who wants to pay to go do this? What a fool you are to choose hardship, right? Nobody wants hardship in life. But you can write this down. We have to expect trials. We have to expect trials. Because because we're human and because we're Christians, we will suffer. Hardship, affliction, that is what comes when we... Follow God. We are not exempt from the trials, the tears, the plots. We're not exempt from that. There's a, there's a pressure in the affliction, a pressure that squeezes us and makes life very uncomfortable. We have to expect trials. This includes the routine everyday thing. So earlier this week I had a crown fall off. I had to go to the dentist with my crown in a bag. Hopefully he could reinstall it, and he did, you know, thankfully. My daughter got married over the summer, and they're learning about the adult world. It's so much fun to watch them (laughs) go to the DMV for the first time. It's fun. They had their windows in their apartment replaced, and apparently the uh, window guys just took a hammer and busted through the window on the outside. Pulled it out, put in new windows, and left glass all over their bed for them, for them to clean up. Welcome to the real world. Am I right? Sometimes you get a fender bender. You and I will have our daily suffering, but then there are next level things. I talked to Pastor Alex. He was also at our men's prayer breakfast on Saturday via Zoom. And man, they're suffering. The church is suffering in Ukraine. They're they're afraid because the army can just grab you off the street, throw you in service, put you in a uniform, and you're on the front lines within a few days. No training. Boy, they are suffering. They are suffering. We learn that humility is tied to suffering. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we'll put that up on the screen, Paul said this, uh, he said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations he had been given, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Do you know that if the only thing, I want you to think rightly about your trials, the, if the only thing that happens as a result of the hardest things that happened to you last week, if the only thing that happens if you remain, is you remain humble, it was worth it. Why is this happening, oh God? If the only answer is to keep you humble before God, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because the damage that will be done in your life, and that will be done through your life, if you become haughty or conceited, nothing compared to the trials that you face. Nothing. Have you agreed with that in your own heart? Do you expect trials Or do you expect God to drive all of your trials away? What do you expect in life? Do you expect to suffer because God promises it? Write this down, and we must suffer well. Are you preparing to suffer well? Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you have financial problems and you don't know how the spreadsheet's going to come together. Maybe you have health issues and you can't get clear answers what's going on. Maybe there's problems at work and you don't know where it's going to go. Maybe there's a relationship that's so busted out, broken, you don't think it'll ever be fixed. It could be in your home with your marriage or your kids, and there are just serious, serious things you're suffering. Are you suffering well? Right now, are you are you suffering well, through the tears, through the trials? We must suffer well. A dear woman in our church named Louise passed away last, last week, and she was in and out of the hospital for years. And I went to visit her once, and um, I walked in, and she was smiling. And I said, Louise, how you doing? She said, well, I guess I'm on assignment again. Someone here must need Jesus. If you were in the hospital tomorrow morning, unexpectedly, would you be like, well... I guess God's got a project for me, or would you be like, what am I going to do? Who's going to get this done, and these socks are the worst, and I mean, we're usually not happy, but she was on assignment. What a perspective. She's in glory now. Are you suffering well? If you suffer well, you would develop a pattern of finishing well, because all trials have an expiration date. I hope you know that. All trials are stamped with an expiration date. Most will expire in this life, Some won't expire until the next life. All of them will end. And then you cross the finish line. What then? If you develop a pattern of finishing trials well, then you will finish life well, and then you'll go on into the next life to receive your reward. I saw a funny cute video of a mom who decided to run an ultra marathon. A mom who decided to run an ultra marathon, and after Hours at night with a flashlight, she finally crosses the finish line. Her son is right there to meet her. Alright, so check out this cute video. You did it! Oh. Alright, what do you need? There's something I stuff. need to die. Mom, you have stuff over there. There's anything you want. Oh my god. Pickle juice. 15 hours of running. You did it! I need to die. <laughs> hey, are you gonna finish well? Are you going to finish well? We must suffer well if we want to finish well. Paul said, You saw how I served the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me. Number one, serve the Lord humbly. Number two, suffer hardship patiently. Number three, write this down. Speak the word boldly. Speak the word boldly. It says in verse 20, You know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both the Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So we must speak the word of God boldly. You know, we've talked so far about, we've got four W's here, but worshiping Christ, knowing He's the Lord, working for Christ humbly. That's kind of being on a ministry team. Um, and we're talking now about witnessing, sharing our faith with other people. He spoke boldly. And we know why he did that. It's because it says in verse 24 at the end, he's testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. It says in verse 27 that he is declaring the whole counsel of God. This is the word of God. In verse 20, it's profitable. What do you think about this book? Do you believe it is the very word of God? And are you treating it like food for your soul? We have to believe the Word of God. And when we do, we know it's profitable. This is how we get built up in the gospel of grace. This is how we find the counsel of God. Do you know reading your Bible is reading God's lips? And sharing this with others is helping them to hear from God. Speak the Word boldly. Write this down. We must teach the church faithfully teach the church faithfully, He says in verse 20, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. You know, there are a lot of churches today that don't teach the Word of God. There's no Bible. People don't have one. Pastor doesn't have one. There might be some encouraging stories, some uplifting little nuggets, some life hacks. Nothing really from God's Word or nothing substantial. That's by design. Every church decides what to do with this book. Many churches chuck it through the window and they don't teach the whole counsel of God. One of our four pillars is preaching. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible because we believe this is the word of God. We must teach the church faithfully. Our children this morning learn the word of God. They're not watching Sesame Street up there. They learn the Word of God. Our teenagers, Sunday nights, they learn the Word of God. We're not just running around chasing each other with squirt guns, eating Cheetos and drinking Mountain Dew. We do that too. But they learn the Word of God. Awana Wednesday nights, they memorize God's Word. We must teach the church faithfully. Monday night, Anchor Bible Institute We go college level, study of the book of John Monday nights. You can come. Sometimes people, maybe you feel intimidated to study God's word. Maybe you feel like, I don't, I don't, I I can't, I don't know what to say. People are going to know I don't know my Bible. Don't let that stop you. You can study God's word. You can come to our women's Bible studies Wednesday morning, Wednesday night. We must teach the church faithfully, And leaders must teach the word of God faithfully to the people of God. Paul's modeling that for the Ephesian elders. Write this down. We we must preach the gospel fearlessly. So we teach the church and we preach the gospel to the world fearlessly. Fearlessly. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything, verse 20. Testifying to both Jews and Greeks, 21. Of what? Of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people are like, oh, I study my Bible, I read it every day. I read through the Bible in a year, I know my Bible, but then out there, whoa. I mean, people just believe whatever they want. It's not my business to judge them, who am I? And they won't share their faith with other people. I hope you're not making the unbiblical mistake of thinking that faith is just for you and not for them. That they'll be okay somehow. They won't. They have to hear the good news from you, from me. We have to share our faith with others, regardless of the reaction we get. We must preach the gospel fearlessly. Faith here doesn't just mean faith in any old thing or faith in anything. It means belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. That's the faith. Where, where do we teach? We must teach the word of God in the church, and we must preach the word of God in the world repentance is a word that's used here as well not a very popular word today but it could mean change of mind metanoia it could also mean change of life direction entire turning of the life to God I like that idea of an entire turnaround of the whole life mind heart body and soul a turning to the Lord Robin Williams was a comedian right and he was in Iraq uh, doing his his uh, routine to the troops in Iraq during the war And during the middle of his comedy routine, everybody got up and turned around, turned their backs to him. And he didn't know what was going on. Check it out. So we you in the military. Do you know what that was? What was going on? The flag was going down. All right, when the flag's going down, everything stops. Everything stops because our loyalty to our nation right now must be expressed that everyone turns around. Doesn't matter who they were listening to. Everyone's eyes are on the flag while it goes down and they honor their nation. That idea of turning away from the world, no matter who they are, no matter what they think, no matter what, what they think they deserve from you, the entire Turning away to the Lord Jesus Christ permanently is what repentance is. And there are people in this room today who have never repented. You have never from the world and all its promises and all its glory and all that it holds for you, you have never turned from the world to the Lord Jesus Christ with everything in you. You've never repented. And your eyes, your heart, your mind, your soul are still in the world. And if you love the world, you don't love the Lord. Maybe it's time today. This is the gospel for you to turn to Christ. You must turn. That's faith. You must repent. This is the gospel. And the gospel means good news. These things are lifeless, they're leading you to doom and despair and destruction. And you can turn from them now to be saved forever. That's good news that's good news. So we speak the word boldly in the church and in the world. They must do it, we must do it, we must turn to God. So number one, serve the Lord humbly. Two, suffer hardship patiently. Three, speak the word boldly. Fourth, finally surrender to the Spirit completely. Surrender to the Spirit completely. It says in verse 22, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So the Spirit of God is revealing to Paul he's going to get arrested. He doesn't know how. He's going to really try to make sure that doesn't happen, but he knows it's going to happen. Imprisonments and afflictions await me. City after city, he's being warned by prophets, you're going to get arrested, you're going to get arrested, you're going to get arrested, you still have to go. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, surrender to the Spirit completely, that means you have to first know God, and not just any old God that you create, but the God of the Bible. There is one God in three persons, and this is a very Trinitarian passage. Five times in this whole passage, God, the Father, God, is mentioned. Five times the Lord Jesus is mentioned as being equal to God. Three times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And it's being led by the Spirit, which is Christ in us, the Spirit of Christ in us, that gives us our direction in life. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you the moment you're saved, and you become a temple of the living God. And therefore, God is with you, Emmanuel, God with us. And therefore, He leads you and guides you. There's a lot of things the Spirit does inside. Here are the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He draws unsaved sinners to Jesus, convicts believers and unbelievers of sin, regenerates human spirits to life, unites us to other believers, sanctifies us of sin, helps us in our prayer life and prays on our behalf, guides us into all truth, seals our souls for eternal life, anoints us with divine power to speak and serve, helps and comforts us with our burdens, distributes spiritual gifts to build up the church, and grows the nine fruits of the spirit within us there's probably more but those are the big ones that is the spirit of god have you surrendered your life to the spirit completely it starts when you're saved and then it doesn't stop until you are in glory write this down we follow god's plan in life we must follow god's plan in life paul's not calling the shots He says, I don't account, verse 24, my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course. It's kind of a running term there. I'm running the race he has set before me and the ministry I received from him. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We must follow God's plan in life. Let go of selfishness and pride, following God and trusting him. Do you know that here Paul's future is being revealed to him? If God wanted to, He could tell you your whole future. Everything that's going to happen every day between now and your departure from this life. Pick a day. Pick any day. August 13th, 2031. He can tell you every single moment of that day. Is our God not great? Is He not awesome? Well, why doesn't he do it? Well, because he's God and you're not. And you have to trust him. You have to walk with him. He knows your future, he governs your future. So we have to follow his plan. Hey, have you let go of being the CEO of your life? Have you stepped down as chairman of the board? Are you still trying to be the star of your own show, the center of your own universe? Are you living for the glory of you? Or are you living for the glory of Christ? Do you trust him? Finally, write this down. We must help others enter the kingdom of God. Paul's idea here where he says in verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. He's drawing from Ezekiel 33 where God tells a watchman on the wall, if a watchman on the wall sees an invading army coming and doesn't warn the city... Their blood is on his head. But if he warns the city and the city doesn't listen, then their blood is on their own head. We have an obligation before God Almighty to reach those around us with the gospel, or their blood is on our head. But if we sound the trumpet and tell them the good news and they don't listen, then their blood is on their head. We must help others enter the kingdom of God. That's the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. You become a citizen of heaven when you're saved and you enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you embraced the opportunity to go and tell everyone the good news that Jesus is alive, that we can be saved, and that we can live forever in his kingdom? Do you have that hope that you are going to heaven? I had a Facebook memory recently from my son when he was five years old. Here's something that Jared said. We'll put it up on the screen. Dad, when I die, I'm going to be all gold and shiny, right? He was like five. Dad, when I die, I'm going to be all gold and shiny, right? When you die, are you going to be all gold and shiny? Do you know that you're going to heaven? And does your knowledge line up with what the Bible says? One last story. Matt Damon was interviewed recently about his career, and uh, he was asked what his biggest mistake in Hollywood was. Matt Damon, one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, Matt Damon says that he turned down the movie Avatar, number one selling movie of all time, made a billion dollars. He turned down Avatar, and they told him that uh, based on the deal that he would have made, he now knows that he would have made $250 million for Avatar. Did you hear what I said? $250 million, and he turned it down. Would you walk away from $250 million... Do you know he hasn't made $250 million in his entire career? All of his movies added up. He has not made $250 million. One movie would have given that to him, and he walked away from it. He says, I did the dumbest thing any actor has ever done. I did the dumbest thing any actor has ever done. I walked away from Avatar. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you going to turn down heaven? Because there's a lot more there than $250 million. Are you going to walk away from the kingdom of Christ forever and ever and ever? Are you going to turn down heaven? Or are you going to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, humbly serve Him all of your days, suffer through any trials He allows, and then hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, Lord Jesus, that you saved him. You turned him into a servant of the Most High God. And the gospel he proclaimed back then is the gospel we must hear right now. And I know there are some here right now, some who are perhaps watching online. They have never humbled themselves, they have never repented, fully turned away from their love life of sin and received the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, right now, there can be an opportunity for people to be saved by your grace through faith in your Son. They just need a heartfelt prayer. They just need to say, Father, and you can say this in your own heart right now, say, Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Say that to Him. Say, I repent. I turn to Christ. Christ. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again and rules heaven, and that's the best news I've ever heard. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Promise me heaven. Walk me through all my trials. And soon, take me into your presence forever. If you've prayed that prayer, the Spirit of God has come to dwell in you. And you will live with Christ forever in paradise. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're fearing, trust him, believe in him. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.